0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. A few months ago, we had the Yale law professor, Daniel Markovitz, on the show, arguing against the American ideal of meritocracy, suggesting that the American meritocracy both was unjust and rotten or the meritocratic system. This issue of the problems with our meritocracy hasn't gone away. In fact, two... Uh, heavyweight political thinkers have new books out about it. Uh, the Harvard uh, political philosopher Michael Sandel has a book out about it. He'll be on the show in the next few days. And the British political thinker uh, David Goodhart has a new book called Head, Hand, Heart. David is well known as the author of uh, a book about anywheres and somewheres. And now he has a book out critiquing uh, intelligence uh the the subtitle of the book is why intelligence is over rewarded manual workers matter and caregivers deserve more respect so david uh your first book was uh uh, about uh anywheres and somewheres you've expanded that to a trinity head hand heart what do these terms mean
1: yeah um well, um, I mean, these are the aptitudes connected to those different parts of the human anatomy. And my argument is not, it's not against intelligence. I mean, it would be completely dumb to be against intelligence. We need, you know, intelligent people more than ever to, you know, come up with a vaccine against COVID-19 to, I don't know, to work out, how to suck all the carbon out of the atmosphere. I mean, you know, we, we, we need intelligence. I mean, this is not a book. That is against intelligence. But what I'm, what I'm arguing is that one form of human aptitude, cognitive ability, kind of analytical thinking, you know, the exam writing ability that some people have and many people don't have, has become the, too much the kind of gold standard of human esteem and that other forms of, um, of aptitude, other abilities, have had the kind of status and prestige and indeed reward sucked out of them. In the last few decades, that we've that we've overemphasized um, one, one of those three aptitudes. And that, is, that has contributed to the mass political alienation that we've seen in Brexit and Trump and so on. Um, and it's it, it has contributed to, I think, too narrow a definition of what it is to lead a successful life. Um, we, you know, essentially it's kind of, you know, do well at school, go to a more or less good university college, then have a more or less successful professional career, you know, cognitive professional career. I mean, that is what a good life now is. And you don't have to go back very far to find, I think, much bro- a bro- much broader definition of what a good life is, and and a more, more varied route into it. I mean, one other thing that's happened in recent times is that we now have effectively a kind of single ladder, a single funnel into the you know, into that safe life of the of the kind of professional class, as it were, and that lad and that ladder takes you to higher education. Um whereas we used to have lots of there's a single ladder, there used to be lots of little ladders. You could get promotion from below. You know, you may may not have been a very well educated person, but your your talents and abilities were recognized and you'd be promoted. Now if you don't have that initial credentialism of a of a three, four year degree, you you don't have a chance of getting in to the, uh, what, one, what one might call the kind of mass elite, the mass cognitive elite. D- David,
0: um, you, you, you describe, uh, as, as you often do so beautifully, uh, our, our situation as being peak head, uh, has a slightly vulgar uh, implication. <laughs> um, is the meritocracy today, is it essentially an aristocracy? Are we back in the late 18th century?
1: Well, I think it has some element to that. I mean, there there is certainly a quite a large uh, hereditary element. You know, if you look at people who get into top universities in the US or indeed the UK, many of them will be from families where somebody also went to one of the top universities. Now, there is some, there is some promotion from below sociologically, as it were. Um, it's not a completely closed circuit. Um, but it is, to the extent that we have a meritocracy, it is a very flawed one it is very it is very biased towards certain kinds of people and also one has to remember it is something I go into in in my new book um, the I mean not only is it now pretty well established that um, that cognitive ability is at least partly inherited about 50% inherited I think is the is the general consensus but also your kind of your culture and way of life the, the temperament the the characteristics you inherit as a child are also inherited from your from your parents so there is a culture
0: you describe it actually beautifully as a ec- ecumenical niceness is that a a, a, a euphemism for liberalism
1: well uh, well, uh, yeah, that, that's a slightly separate point i think it's about how you know the credentialized as i say the, the kind of mass elite and and one shouldn't i mean I mean, I don't want to sound completely negative. I mean, a meritocracy is is better in in most. I, ways. I want you to be negative, David.
0: You're <laughs> you're you're your best when you're completely negative. <laughs> no, don't meritocracy- fall, don't don't fall into the trap of of ecumenical niceness. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, ecumenical niceness is not actually my idea. I think it's uh, Charles Murray's idea from um, his what, what what was his his sociological book a few years ago, coming apart. Um, that the that the US uh, that the US elite does not preach what it practices. Um, so it's actually very traditional in many ways. And, and Markovitz is quite good on this too, the way that, um, that, that families with, with cultural and educational capital are pretty conservative, overwhelmingly married and stay married and so on, mm. partly in order to transmit their advantage onto the next generation. But they do not preach these virtues. They, are, they tend to be very liberal... Um, politically and therefore don't feel that it's legitimate to encourage other groups who you know. Who, who
0: yeah, it's ironic, isn't it, that they don't preach the menu of their own success? No,
1: exactly. Yeah, but I do think. I mean, the. I mean, if if, if you will allow me just to to be. Uh, I mean to say something good about the meritocracy. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it is interesting, though, actually, isn't it? That we you know we've had all of these books coming out. I mean, you might include Thomas Frank's book. Um, all of them. Uh, very and Thomas popular. was on the show too. Yeah, yeah, all of them. All of us very hostile to, to meritocracy, um, and yet, I mean, the politics is such that it really is very, very hard to argue against meritocracy. And look. The you know that we now have a mass, what I call the mass elite. So thirty, thirty-five percent of the population who now um, go to university, get degrees. We have a much bigger professional class. We have much bigger access to higher education. Well, well, America blazed the trail on this back in the kind of fifties and sixties. Yeah, the U.S. was the first country really to go in for mass higher education. The rest of Europe has caught up and overtaken it actually in recent years. But you so you you know, and it is much better to have a big mass elite than a small one, um, in some ways. Um, but you know, every inclusion creates its own exclusion. So, you know, the, the example I was use is, you know, so if you're, if you're a kid at, at school, um, and you know, you're in a class of 30 or whatever, and you know, seven or eight of your fellow, students go to a really good university and and the rest of you don't it doesn't really matter that much you know you could still go on to and this is what was happening until relatively recently you you still go on and work in a local factory or office or whatever and you could you could have a perfectly respectable career but if half I mean and this is starting to be the case in the UK and some other European countries if you know if half of school leavers nearly half of school leavers are going on to college and you're not the psychology of it is completely different it's much more likely to lead to a so you feeling you know humiliated and resentful, but and so
0: you also so but but like um, like Markovitz, you suggest that um, that the knowledge elite is 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 pretty miserable too. You you quote the Israeli uh, historian Harari, suggesting that we've we've traded meaning, which you describe as heart, for power, which is the head. And mm. you have this this really interesting anecdote at the end of the book about. Uh, when men are in hot, particularly men, when they're in hospices, they, they ask for forgiveness for not being more loving fathers or husbands. So we regret the, the heart. We don't regret, um, yeah. we don't regret the head when we're on our deathbed. We, we don't, we don't regret not reading that extra book or not getting the, the A or the, the star in the exam.
1: Uh, I think I'm talking rather more generally than than Daniel Markowitz is about everybody in a way, or particularly men, as you say, feeling, feeling those regrets. And I'm talking more generally about the kind of the loss of meaning, um, which doesn't only afflict um, the, the kind of credentialized cognitive elite. But I think where, I'm, where I differ from Markowitz and Sandel is I think in, in a way is being a bit more optimistic about the direction we're moving in from the point of view of sort of meritocracy critique now as i say i mean meritocracy is preferable to to aristocracy in many ways it's preferable to the simple inheritance of of privilege when earned privilege this greater mass elite is, is preferable to a narrow one um however as i said it, it you know it creates its own its own exclusions um but um The truth is, it's not going to last very long. (laughs) Um, You know, we're moving into a new period now where we're going to have to spread out. uh, Right. So so
0: before we get to the fixes, let's talk about the hand and the heart. You say manual workers matter and caregivers deserve more respect. What do you mean by jobs which are premised on the hand and the
1: heart? Well, I'm, I'm talking about you know jobs you know, jobs that are that are kind of manual or technical or, or craft related. Um, yeah, I mean, heart refers to um, you know, caring jobs of of many kinds, both in the both in the public care economy, but also in the private sphere of the, of the family. Um, you've seen, I mean, you know, you just you know, w- you know, if this is a very old story. If you look at the reward to these different clusters of aptitudes, we've had a you know a massive bias towards reward for for ed- educational qualifications and and cognitive abilities have been massively rewarded until recently anyway. Um, and you've seen um, you know most most manual occupations um, have seen uh, income stagnating for whatever it is thirty or forty years. Care is sort of slightly in between them. There are some care jobs that have, right. that have done quite well.
0: Are we, are, are we in danger of fetishizing manual work? Yeah, David, you went to Eton. Many distinguished British leftists went there fetishizing manual workers, both as socialists and communists. George Orwell, who, of course, went to Eton, uh, fell into this trap but then became a critic of it. Most people who do manual work don't like it. Why would we want to fetishize it?
1: Well, it's not so much manual, I suppose, as as kind of more basic. I mean, less less dependent on academic credentials. I mean, I mean, I I, I mean, have you ever worked in a factory? I've I've never worked in a factory. I've done, you know, I've kind of cleaned offices and things like that. And Um, I
0: assume you didn't find that a lot of fun.
1: No, Um, but I mean, lots of the kind of middling and lower cognitive jobs are uh, not a lot of fun either. and um but it is also true that we have a huge um crisis of recruitment in i mean the skilled trades which can often be quite you know creative and absorbing jobs i mean not not all not all manual jobs not all hand jobs are you know working in amazon warehouses i mean there are you know you you being an electrician or a plumber i mean these used to be you know highly respected and pretty well paid and indeed are becoming quite well paid again partly because of the shortages so we know we have certainly in the uk and i think this is partly true the us too we've had such a bias towards the academic and pushing everybody in school towards the academic you know shop classes have been closed down and and all that but we now have a massive shortage of of people in the skilled trades and middling kind of technician type jobs people are crying out for them you know lots of big companies are crying out for them Um, so I mean I, I mean, I think the, the over-concentration on, on the cognitive, on head, has had bad political consequences, but it's also had bad economic consequences. David, how does the, the, the
0: hand worker, the manual worker, uh, head worker split fit into your anywheres versus somewheres dichotomy? I'm assuming that, 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 that those who work with their hands tend to be much more rooted in place.
1: Yeah, I mean there is an overlap between, I mean, so my, my in my last book, The Road to Somewhere, I talked about the, the value divides, and I, I labeled that the, the anywheres are essentially the 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 kind of cognitive class, the, the, the top 30-35% um who, who have been through college, who tend to value openness and mobility and are comfortable with sort of with social fluidity and so on and so forth. Um, and then a, a more rooted group of about 50% of the population who uh, who often do not not always I mean it's not these things overlap and but don't um don't map on to each other exactly uh, but the, the somewheres tend are more likely to be doing um more basic jobs and are more likely as you say to be to be less mobile and and to value the things that you'd expect you know more familiarity security and so on and to, and and anywheres the the value group that I call the Anywheres, tend to have a sense of themselves as a sort of creation of their own achievements. They have so-called achieved identities, um, which comes from passing exams and going to good colleges and and having decent careers. And and being citizens of the
0: world. I I think that the the most uh, intriguing and perhaps optimistic part of your trilogy is the heart element. Caregivers, you suggest, deserve more respect. And ironically enough, it's perhaps uh the heart where the future lies. What's your argument about the importance of jobs premised on the heart and why they are your 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 optimistic glimpse into an AI future?
1: Yeah, okay. So yeah, the reason why I am optimistic is that I think. Without wanting to sound too kind of Marxist determinist about this, is these, you know, we are going to get a shift in the allocation of reward and prestige from head, in in a sense, back towards hand and heart for, 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 well, for a couple of very big reasons. One is that it turns out the knowledge economy doesn't need very many knowledge workers. I mean, that is, this is barely, barely happened yet. I mean, this is what the AI revolution is all about. Automation was about eroding blue collar jobs. AI is gonna be about eroding white collar jobs. It's gonna be the kind of middle and lower end of the cognitive class, the people that we've expanded higher education to create in a way. So those people are gonna have to do work of some kind. So they are going to end up doing various kinds of hand and heart work. Now, the other thing that of course is happening, well, I mean, sorry, I mean, just to finish on that point, I mean, we're seeing this already, emerging even prior to the kind of AI deluge uh, we're seeing this in the things like the decline of the graduate premium you know go back 30 40 years and you know graduates I mean, I mean still you know graduates from Ivy League universities obviously still get a, a huge income premium but the average mm. uh, graduate premium in the US and the UK is now is barely 10 percent um, certainly in the UK anyway and look at all the graduates who are not in graduate jobs, you know, five or 10 years after graduating. I mean, that is because the the, the, the cognitive class is, it, if it's growing at all, is growing far more slowly now than it did in the 70s, 80s, even the 90s. It's been pretty flat um, and an AI will actually cause it to shrink. So we're still, you know, the idea, every anxious parent in the US and the UK wants their child to achieve safety and their notion of safety is now an old-fashioned one it is about going to college and into a professional job that is not going to be the ladder to safety any longer because the well it's, it's going to be the ladder to safety for far fewer people and you're already seeing I think a kind of mass resentment created by the credentialized college class who are not going into jobs of the kind the quality and the pay that they expected so i mean you know if you take the kind of the bernie sanders movement in the us or jeremy corbyn in the uk i think a lot of the foot soldiers of this movement are people are often you know middle middle class relatively privileged mainly mainly white kids who are not getting the jobs that they have been led to expect it's a it's a it's a kind of re- it's a crisis of expectation. It's a reaction against the relatively mundane kind of job that they end up doing, which is exactly the same kind of job that their non-graduate parents did. I mean, you could uh, even say. But doesn't this? I
0: get your point. not isn't. Doesn't this bring to mind uh, Tocqueville's argument about the French Revolution? Is that you only have a revolution when, in a sense things seem to get better or at least when the, the middle class is most affected and that these are the people who are going to bring the system down. This is no reason to be optimistic.
1: Well, but I mean, I'm not talking about the system coming down. I mean, I'm talking about adjustments to the system. I mean, we've, we've you know, the system has got out of kilter. We've moved too far, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the direction of rewarding and encouraging the creation of more and more cognitive um, you know, members of the cognitive class for jobs that are simply not there for them of that kind. I mean, you know, the, the you know, the, uh, there's a huge amount of work, um, you know, brown and louder on, on what's been happening in big corporations. The proportion of people now in big companies, you know, with so-called permission to think has become narrower and narrower. Um, so, but there's huge demand. I mean, you, you, you talked about the, the the caring aspect and there's massive demand, mm. massive Massive recruitment crises in in nursing, in care homes, you know, and the and the you know the pandemic has kind of revealed that. And, and the pandemic has, I think, has, will, will will help in some ways in this movement. Like I say, not a revolution, but just nudging society, uh, you know, uh, to, to to spread out respect and reward more evenly across these aptitudes. But because,
0: in, in, a, in a sense, that's true. And I think your book's really good on pointing out that. Uh, AI can replace the head, but not the heart. We're never going to be able to, to, mm. to make the, the AI do, do heart jobs or do heart things. But the reality in, 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 in 2020 is that the frontline workers get our respect, but they're not being paid anymore. And the reality of 2020 is a tiny group. The elite of the elite of the elite in the meritocracy are, are becoming richer and richer and more and more powerful. So it seems to me as this, this gap, this, this chasm between the head and the heart or the head, the hand and the heart are becoming even more dramatic in 2020, for oh, better I or worse.
1: Think, well, I, I'm not sure. I mean, certainly here and, and in other European countries, we had, you know, you know clapping for your carers in the... I mean, yeah, you clap, but you don't give them any... I, I, I'm not saying we don't
0: respect them, but I don't see any fundamental shift in the nature of the economic system. They're not being paid well, anymore.
1: Well, it hasn't happened yet. I mean, you know, give us a break. I mean, we're still in the bloody pandemic. Do we need a
0: new political movement,
1: uh, David, or a new political ideology
0: or party? You quote extensively in the book um, Matt Crawford, who was on the show, who's become one of the the most preeminent, I I guess, philosophers of uh, the hand and the heart. You're becoming uh, a philosopher of this too. Uh, You're an expert on the party political system. Uh, do we need uh, an equivalent of a Labour Party for the 21st century? Maybe we would call it a hand-heart party.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it's easier for sort of parties of more conservative parties to, uh, to, to, to promote this, this, this fairer spread of prestige and reward across the different aptitudes. I mean, I think, you know, the, what's the Piketty phrase? The Brahmin left. Um, you know, it is the Brahmin left is very entrenched in the institutions of higher education, you know, which, you know, which are the, the great credentializing machines of yes. the meritocracy. Um, so it's actually easier for, I mean, like, like what, you know, one of the points that's often made about, uh, about recent political developments, certainly in the UK is it's easier for parties of the right to move left on economics than it is for parties of the left to move right on culture. Now you know if, in some ways, what I'm proposing is at least small C conservative. You know, revaluing caring, and that includes caring in the private sphere. Um, You know, you know, restoring some of the kind of lost lost value uh, that we attach to family life. Um, You know, restoring the the kind of prestige of the skilled trades and so on. There is a sort of small C conservative ring to some of those things, and it's I think that's easier for um for, for parties that and, and parties of the right now tend to have a much broader base in in society I mean parties of the left, including the Democrats in the u s have become the parties of liberal graduates i mean that, those are, are the you parties.
0: are you presenting perhaps a, a palatable populism
1: um, well, I think well my thinking has kind of been influenced by populism i mean it's a sort of re- trying to understand and respond to it and to respond to perhaps what is legitimate in it you know the the, the resentments and the losses that people feel that, that, that perhaps they don't need to feel um, they don't need to feel humiliated by the credentialized cognitive elite i mean but you know apart from anything else they're they're almost certainly most of them um no less intelligent than them it's kind of there's a huge amount of randomness about who ends up you know climbing the ladder into the into the cognitive elite and who doesn't after all you know, the, the vast majority of us have a kind of average or above average IQ. Um, many of it- is it
0: ironic, though, that the, 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 the best critics of the head of the meritocracy are liberal aristocrats like yourself, Daniel Markovitz, and, <laughs> and, 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 and Sandel?
1: Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure I, I would accept that label. But um, I meant it I as think- a compliment. <laughs> um, I mean, I think. I mean, I, I, I think it helps to be a kind of recovering lefty to get some of this stuff. Um, I mean, I, and perhaps I'm recovering more than and and, Daniel Tom, and, and and Thomas Frank is also in
0: this camp. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, although he's I think, not recovering, he's still on the left. Well, he, but yeah, he's on the kind of economic. I mean, I would say I, I would. And Daniel Bell came up with a with a very nice sort of political credo I think that i read somewhere he said it in the 1980s or 90s he's dead now but um, you know he was asked for his credo and he's and he said well I'm a social democrat in economics I'm a liberal in politics and I'm somewhat conservative in in social and cultural matters and it's that that sort of missing majority and that's partly what my last book was about that kind of the missing majority that sort of Populism in its more legitimate forms, I think, was also reaching towards that kind of combination. And for various historical reasons, neither the main parties of left or right in Britain or America have combined those things. I mean, the, the party that may now be doing it more than any other in recent history is today's Conservative Party in the UK, um, okay, you know, which, is kind of, which has become the party of Brexit. But now, because it's had a lot of working class people voting for it in the last election, um, and, you, and you've seen in the pandemic how you know they've completely thrown out traditional free market, you know, low public spending orthodoxies, just gone out of the window. And they're now you know most focused on their new working class voters in the Midlands and the North of England and how to keep them. They're quite happy to become much more social democratic. Um, and, and I think you know this 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 kind of combination, this sort of better balance of different, you know just accepting a broader scale, different scales of human worth, you know, we've different, right.
0: So different balance, different scale, Uh, your book, Head, Hand, Heart, I think, is one of the best introductions to that. You also introduced some of your own heart into the book. I think it's an excellent read. Uh, David, you're stuck in London during the pandemic. What else should people be reading in addition to Head, Hand and Heart?
1: Oh, well, um, one book I actually quoted in the book that uh, I think is absolutely a, a wonderful tour de force uh, is a book um, called The Master and His Emissary by a man called Ian McGilchrist. Um, it's, about the, um, it's about the conflict between left and right hemispheres. I mean, this kind of sounds a bit kind of hippieish, You know, the left was, 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 was said to be kind of more holistic and sort of female and the and the right more masculine and rationalist or whatever I mean back back in the 60s but it but it turns out we're I mean, not in those um not in those sort of old-fashioned terms but that there is something to um you know that those those distinctions and um and McGilchrist argues very powerfully I think that you know we've become I can't remember which side it is actually I think we've become to two too um, utilitarian, rationalist, sort of left brain, and we kind of, you know, we need to to bring in more of the kind of holistic, um, broad, broader sense of of kind of what a what a what a good human life is. Um, the the other book that I've actually only only just come across um, that I think is is kind of weird and amazing is called The Jewish Century. Um, by someone called Sleskin. If that's right. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name. Um, which is kind of um, it's a kind of remarkable book in some ways about how um, how sort of we're all Jews now. Um, in that you know, Jews, for for many hundreds of years, were the the, the main providers of of sort of con- consu- consumer facing. So this consumer-facing service economy—that's what m- most Jews did, and that all had to do. they, they, they couldn't join the army, they couldn't own land, et cetera, et cetera, So they became kind of expert in the things that we now all do. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, this—this this actually, you know, probably one of the explanations for the relative success of of, of Jews in in the in the modern world. Um, he's also got the most extraordinary. Um, figures about the, um, the proportion of Jews in the in the Bolshevik Party, um, you know, in in the kind of in the lead up to the Russian Revolution. I mean, all sorts of kind of weird and weird and wonderful facts and figures. Um, but actually, I mean, I suppose also one of the books that I, uh, if I'm not allowed to throw in a third one, I mean, the, um, quite a lot of what I write about and what I'm saying has already been said in different language a long time ago by christopher lash Um, i mean you know the, the basic sort of critique of meritocracy um also we have michael young saying the same thing here in the late 50s but you know if you if you make society a competition in which the most able win and everybody else feels like a failure i mean what kind of society have you got um i mean but i mean this does then get you though into the difficulty that meritocracy is too entrenched and in some ways too useful a social principle to to rid of completely i mean if you but i think there's a really if i can just make a final point a really important distinction between meritocratic selection for jobs particularly sort of top important jobs merit i mean you you know you don't want to have a lottery to decide who runs your nuclear power stations you know you want your best nuclear scientists running your nuclear program but that doesn't mean to say you want a meritocratic society i think it is it's quite a subtle distinction but i think it's an important one Perhaps, perhaps similar to the distinction that, that, who was it, uh, Lionel Lionel Jospin made this distinction between a market economy and a market society. Yes to a market economy, no to a market society.
0: You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure and the team at Lit Hub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.